Hello and welcome to the debug log number 109. It's been a long year. It's been a weird year. We didn't have as many episodes as we wanted to, but a lot of weird stuff happened this year. So give us a pass. Uh, this is our first episode of 2021. Happy New Year. Um, as you'll hear in this episode, we had a couple of mishaps on recording sessions. So this is our third attempt at this, but I think it's a pretty good episode. Today we talk about live games, you know. We talk about the evolution from when you used to get a game and that's all there was and there was no updates, fixes, patches, ongoing live content to now where that seems forced, maybe not forced, that might be a leading statement, into every game, you know, whether they, it needs it or not. So today we talk about that, we talk about the evolution of that, we talk about the good old days, um, and we're just glad to be here talking in 2021 hopefully have many more episodes to come. All that today, so without further ado, I give you the debug log, episode 109. See on the lot, you guys see the live counter up there? Yeah. When that thing hits 215, let's do clap. On 215, ready? Okay. Wait, no, where's the live right. counter? Sorry. Sorry, never mind. Don't lose your Don't lose your You're listening to the Debug Log, a podcast about game development. My name's Andrew Curry. I'm Obino Parra. And I'm Ryan Kilgore. And we're back. <laughs> the listeners will know this after two lost episodes. We actually did like 12 episodes last year. We just lost them. <laughs> yeah, so we did one every single week. Yeah, every week we did an episode. And they all got we're just incompetent. Yeah. <laughs> so we've done a couple episodes. Things happen. We're not going to get into that. But hopefully this you're hearing this. If you're hearing this, it successfully got online. Um, so we have some topics that have come up towards the end of 2020 and 2021. We've that we talked about, and we're going to talk about them again. We're going to recreate the magical conversations. Um, and the big one tonight that we – it sort of became a topic this year across all, you know, blah, blah, blah. Actually, happy 2021 to you guys first off, by the way. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, let's make sure this hot podcast isn't cursed. Um, a big topic came over, especially home with the pandemic, is live games and I always thought this subject when we talked about it before was really interesting because it gets into like about what a live game is, where, you know, what constitutes it, what are the challenges. But also, I like this idea of also some live games are, they're not all designed equally, right? And for that purpose. So, yeah, live games, Kilgore. Like, what do you, <laughs> what's up? Let's talk about this. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> well, like you said, I mean, yeah, you know, just kind of wanted to go in and discuss, you know, a lot of different attributes about them because, you know, as over time, as technology has gotten better, more games can kind of become live games. And this is everything from like, you know, just patching and updates to, you know, uh, you know, content releases, seasonal con, you know, is it seasonal content? Is it, you know, diversifying amongst your different IP? It's, you know, basically just looking at, you know, giving the game life beyond its initial release, essentially, you know, um, and, and there's just a lot of ways to do that. So I figured, you know, we could maybe talk about some of those. And I don't know where you guys want to start if you want to go as far back in the Wayback Machine, because I think in one of our other Lost episodes, we talked about how, you know, in, in the in the before times, how nothing was really ever a live game. It was sort of printed and done. But now we're in an era of everything can sort of be like fixed in post or a day one patch or something oh, yeah. like that. So, right. so I guess I just I start off of like, 
what are your guys' ideas about a live game right now? Or can you really pin it down or define it? Because I have a hard time with that sometimes. I feel like, yeah, I think going back to the way back is a good place to start. And I think uh, when you're asking questions about what is a live game, for me personally, I think almost every game out right now is a live game, whether that's mobile, PC, uh, v- well, yeah, VR, AR, basically any game is a live game because we're afforded the opportunity to just really change things whenever, uh, whether it's right. before game or you know after launch. Uh, or through, you know, over the air. I mean, our car has become live games. You know, we're doing over the air updates to cars now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, the way software has evolved, I think almost everything has become a quote unquote live game. Or, uh, yeah. Did you have a- well, yeah, and that's what we got. And I think we talked about this last time, but just we're going to keep saying the entire episode. But I love thinking about those old. I mean, yeah, Atari, you know, 1600 and NES, but I think there's a there's a middle area, which is like the Super Nintendo and Genesis area, which is like the, the games are so complex, but they still weren't probably have as modern development tools, you know, and environments as possible, right? That maybe came later with PlayStations and stuff, and they're still probably a pain in the ass with those two, but they had to do that stuff like an assembly, or maybe they had a C compiler and compiled the assembly, but what the the amount of content in some of those we were talking about some of those SC, the SNES uh Final Fantasy games and like Secret oh, of Man, Lord. all those Square Enix yeah. games. Those games I was marveling over them during the holidays because I was just watching. I was like, it'd be fun to make like a JRPG. And I always do this. I'll go through these like game things and I'll look up references and I'll just start going, How would you recreate this? You know, in the Unity or whatever it is, which is a good by the way, that's a good piece of advice. It's probably a great analyst <laughs> like exercise is to start thinking how you'd make things all the time. I was like, how did they make this scene? Because they like they have scenes where those little 2D sprites, everybody's seen them, they're familiar with. But if you watch the complexity of what's happening and think about how to build that in Unity or Unreal, it gets crazy because they have these sprites that are coming in that you've been walking around everywhere. Then it transitions into the scripted sequence that transitions to these like camera movements, which couldn't have been easy. You know, they're all like translated camera, like by hand movements probably. And all the animations are probably coded in there by... And then it does all this other stuff and it comes back. They have like a very sophisticated scene system and all these things. And then I started thinking about like, this game's 60 hours long on the mm-hmm. SNES in 1998, right? 97. Or on the PlayStation across like four oh, yeah. CDs. <laughs> or all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they put that out at a time, like you said, where they can't mm-hmm. update it. We don't have a shooter that's two hours long that comes out now that doesn't update from day one. You know, they're like, I was like, oh, no, you know, but they, we always say they could get used to it because they're like, yeah, we get away with it. Like Cyberpunk recently, now that we've done this episode, the lost episode, Cyberpunk has this whole controversy now. It's the same thing. Um, but they've been doing this forever. And Giant Bond, they're talking about a story where the Tomb Raider, one of those Tomb Raiders in the PlayStation era, they still they couldn't update it, but they would get it certified with waivers from whatever the certification board because they're like, well, this bug only affects 5%. So we'll replace the disc later. So we can at least release it 20,000 copies and then replace the disc later. I was like, yikes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, so they would just, so would a customer actually be like, oh, I'm one of those 5%, give me a new one? Or would it well, just be no, like, maybe they just said they're going to replace all the stock. And yeah, and then if somebody complained, they would mail them and they'd mail them to the disc later. But they're just saying, let us at least release 100, you know, 50,000 PlayStation discs to this for now. And then we're, we're, repli- we're fixing the bug right now, but we can't miss our launch date. So it's like, that's, 
the crazy even back then they couldn't update games but they still kind of they started to get in that like around the 2000 i guess that's around 2000 era we started to move into a new millennium of yeah. <laughs> reality for that you know, i got well, an I'll question tell you. Oh, go ahead go ahead Oh, well, just real quick on that point. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that's kind of the console realm, but even in the PC realm at that time, you know, everybody kind of thinks PC master race and being able to do all this stuff. It wasn't that uh, sophisticated back then, you know, pre real, you know, internet interconnectedness days, you know, it's like you, you might be able to release a patch to a PC game. Like that was more sort of mendable back then but it was like you'd have to be able to get online and like maybe download the new executable or dll and know maybe where to put it or something so it's like there's like i guess just to touch on pcs there was some ability to do you know some of that but it you know is very primitive to what our current views are right, right. <clears throat> and and i guess my conversation is really circling around this whole idea of being able to update uh, or no, more than update but patching bugs and, and issues within the game and i'm curious like since you know you were reveling about the fact that how old these older games almost seem to be more or less bugless or very very few bl- bugs would kind of reveal themselves as you play through multiple games right. uh, from that era has like our i guess our standard for bug checking and fixing you know during like you know you, you have your like Nintendo lot check or or PlayStation lot check before you can put your game on their platform that you go through a series or even like through iOS go through a series of kind of questions and tests that they do of your application. And I'm wondering if that, that whole practice has quote unquote devolved over the years, or there's been such an influx of games and the ability for random developers from every area of the world, be able to create games that, you know, the, the supply is bigger than the demand for those people performing these lot checks and, and to get away with more bugs in games. And I'm wondering why, bugs are just more prevalent now, even on day ones of, you know, things that, you know, you, our consumers are even saying, Hey, this, how did you even miss this? Because it's so obvious that it was a bug. Like, I'm, I'm just curious, like, where, what are you guys thoughts on like the bug catching phase? for yeah. platforms? So, yeah, I, you know, I would also offer up maybe a, a business angle there is, you know, yeah, like you said, is it just sort of the technology or game complexity, or is it maybe also something to do with the business and marketing? And, you know, because like Andrew mentioned, like those old Final Fantasy games are pretty complex. You know, I couldn't give you an exact, like, is how complex is it compared to, like, say, Cyberpunk 2077? Right. But right. we know that is a very complex game, Cyberpunk. Um, and they, they tried to shove a lot of stuff in there. And, um, you know, I think maybe part of it is, is just creating games that big and then having a marketing cycle or sort of a business push. This is like at some point you've got to get this out the door. The holidays are here. We've dumped, you know, X hundreds of millions into this. You know, have we gotten to such scale that you just can't fail and they shove it out the door just to get that money to recoup losses? You know, I don't know, but that may be another aspect of it. Yeah, I think that's a good point because I think, I don't know. I don't want to be cynical about this with that stuff with the business side of it, because I feel like it's almost sort of related to things like crunch. It's like we're going to hang ourselves as much rope you give us in the same. Like if if you have like you can always say for the what I'm saying for crunch related is like you can say, well, let's plan more and you can always plan more and get have, you know, say it was your studio and be great and be on schedule. But at the end, you're always going to go, you know, we could have all these other things, too. What if we did that? You know what I mean? Because there's always this, like, kind of what if, and I also think that's the same way with these release schedules. Like, there's always, like, what if we put in more? What if we fix more of these bugs? What if we did? 
You know what I'm saying? So it's like they're always right. – if they, if they give right. them leeway, like they gave them those waivers, like, you know what? Go ahead and release it. We'll sign this waiver. It didn't get fully certified. but And they don't mind the certification because they get, to pay, they get money every time they have to get it certified. So – Sorry, but like to this point about like um, – you know, crunch. I feel like crunch and, and kind of one more. You know, can I can I do one more thing? Has always been the case across games or any entertainment medium, right? Where businesses want to do that. So, but prior to like I guess this quote unquote new age of gaming, those older games still maintained a higher, seemingly maintain a higher level of um, polish. Well, and- I, what I'm saying is like because there's a certain point where that level was absolute. Where like going right. back to okay. the spectrum, it was like. No, this is it, <laughs> buddy. Right, right, either right. we discon, either we do a recall and discontinue this game, like right, the right. ET thing or whatever, or they're like, or you you have to make sure they're having bugs in. But I'm saying is, I think I hearing that story about Tomb Raider in 2000, I didn't know that stuff happened as soon, like as soon as back. I mean, as early as the, like that time, 1999 or something. And I feel like that's the beginning of the end because you tell a company is like, well. We'll let you get by with some of this stuff, and we'll let you fix it later. Right. That's the beginning. Like, well, how much can I get by with it? Can right. I get by with a lot of stuff now? How many copies will you let? Let's start. I pushing. wonder. You open I mean, up yeah, like it's like a leak in a boat, and it just starts getting bigger I and agree. bigger. Yeah. I wonder if that was like one of the inflection points. Where like, oh, oh shit! Like this games business is actually legit. Like we can make a lot of money from games. Right. And that's when it really became, okay, let's just turn it into a cash cow. And they're always going to push again. And that's their job. They're always going to push against right. commerce as hard as possible. And it's like, and if you let standard, and maybe it's the certification, whoever, I don't want to get people in trouble. Like, I don't, you know, I don't have anything <laughs> against them, but I, I don't know. I, I just feel, feel like, like they're not listening. Damn, to the I'm, I'm, only, yeah. Yeah, I'm, only, I'm not doing it. I don't have any grand statements about the business. What I'm saying is I'll just relate it personally. It's the same thing. If you have like an exercise, you're doing something, you have a routine, and you're being disciplined, you're like, you know what? I'm going to let it slide right here because, and you start doing that sometimes and you don't go cycle back onto what you were doing. It can be like a little, like it can be a little leak in a dam. Right. And I think that, you're like, that's true. And I think when the process is fresh, the fresher the process, the usually more tightened down it is. And as over years, it's like, okay, well, one thing can slide, another thing can slide. And then it's like, okay. Right. Before we had a big burden, the boats, like, it's like, you know, the right. Thermopylae thing. It's like, we can't go home. We got to win this fight. And there's right, no right. other choice. It's either going to fail and have to be recalled, or we have to not have this amount of bugs in it, period. Gotcha. That makes so, sense. So, so now they got so many outs, you know, and so many things yeah. have snowballed with the human nature and scale works. and scope. Yeah. We adapt like, oh. things. We normalize things and adapt. And you just, we, you give us a little bit more. We're like, this is the new normal now. Yeah. It's like that bit about well, the air, at- internet and the airplane. It's like this thing broke. It's like you didn't. You have internet in this airplane. You're flying yeah, through right. the sky and you're complaining. You're, and you're watching movies. Right. On your phone, so right. Shut up. Um, no, yeah, yeah. Oh, geez, I had a thought. I, it just went out of my head. Uh, yeah, but I, you know, it was like what you're saying is like, yeah, that sort of leeway. It's like everything's got a day one patch now, so it's just like you know, hey. You know, like you said, it's just all those little chips coming out and say, you know, giving them more and more sort of room to say not be so concise when the game's released. Yeah, well, that, remember that used to be a big scandal. Like you go back ten years, five years ago, the day one patch was seen like as a failure. It's like what happened, and now it's just there's like three 13. patches before it even goes live. Right, see, preloaded games like we already have patches lined up. For this right, day. right. Or the day one patches is like big as the game. It can be right. like seventy gig. <laughs> oh like, lord! Yeah, actually, th- this is giving me a flashback of. Do you guys remember the game Anarchy Online? 
Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, I remember hearing it. Remember yeah. Yeah, that was one of the first times I remember, like, that just came back for, like, this sort of day one patching and things of that nature. I was in the beta for that, and everyone's like, oh, there's all these bugs, and there's all this stuff. And everyone's like, don't worry. When it goes gold, they'll fix it. And then somebody in, like, you know, one of the chats is like, guess what, guys? We're on the latest patch. What's printed to that CD is going to be worse than this. And I was like, <laughs> it was like a light bulb went off my head. I'm like, oh, my God, you're right, because... This is when we were transitioning to like, you know, live patchers for MMOs and games and stuff like that. Or, you know, during that early time of MMOs. And it just sort of hit me. It's like, oh, yeah, anybody who installs this for the first time, this is going to suck until they get the patch. So, um, yeah, definitely kind of showed a little leak in the dam there. Yeah, and I think this is what the idea, I mean... I mean, if we're talking about the evolution of what we call quote unquote live game, this is not really a live game where we're talking about just updates. People are like, what are you talking about, grandpa? That's like, yeah, like y'all I've Steam yeah. since I was two. Like, <laughs> but but when Steam came out, it was like a revelation. You're like, oh my God, because it used to be such a pain in the ass, like to like download drivers and updates to like every PC game you had. Remember, it's like each on their website. Yep. And now then they just but then the idea that you can patch a game, what it did at that point, I know there's like things like Ultima and Linus and like that, but they, and EverQuest, but they, they allow this possibility to open up, which is, well, we could patch it, not necessarily patch it just for bugs, but patch it for content and patch it for things. So it keeps the game, not just that we're fixing it, but they were actually adding content to keep players playing it. Right. That's right. sort of the next step in that. Cool. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It's the post. It's the, it's basically the post-release stuff, you know. And after people like start going through the games and playing, I'm like, how do you keep them playing? And sort of, you know, outside of the technical details and keeping it up and running, it's like, you know, now, you know, and you know, a lot of companies have looked at like, how do we just keep people in these worlds or playing these games and kind of give the games a long tail for profit? And you know, obviously, modern technology, like we're saying, with the internet and being able to patch anything in it's like oh yeah what do we do now we start uh adding seasons dlcs you know uh, new raids new this is new that's and you know and that's kind of available to almost any game now from like indie up to triple a so um so yeah uh i, I, guess, got, I got a you know, random question yeah, i feel like uh i think this is just a, a kind of just going off of your conversation about ways to retain users but I'm wondering, since we're we're kind of claiming, or I guess I did claim that almost all games are these live games. Do you feel like those de game design, um, I mean, let's call them tactics, I guess, like you know, adding in season passes or you know some quote unquote end game content, should that be something that users or play or developers try to put in to all games now, or is your say, or do you still think every kind of design? I guess it, I will, let me not answer my own question, but every des game design kind of lends itself to certain um, tactics for retention. I mean, I think uh, there's the stuff that I don't think it fits every design, but there's definitely things that make it fun. Like even if you had Tetris, like, yeah, it's a Halloween theme now. This is fun. I think right. the reason this, I was going to say, I think the reason this movement is so powerful in the gaming industry is because we just talked about we're always talking about this as commerce and art, not necessarily versus each other, but they're working in parallel, right? They, they need each other. Um, Cause they, I mean, the publish the, you know, the business people want to make money and the developers have to make a good game. It can't just be a game. That's like cogs in a wheel. It's like, this isn't that industry. You know, we're not making chairs, we're making artistic pieces that have to sell race. You know? So it's like, there's a back and forth, but I think the concept of live games, it's like for designers and developers, you're like, 
oh, that'd be so cool. We had like a persistent world. You could come back and your character, like that just excites all of us as an idea. And as a player, you're like, oh, that sounds awesome. But business people would also equally more excited because they're like, well, they're still playing our game, which means I think we could charge them for that. I think we could like put in more stuff. Like, and if you're coming to the thing every day, it's just like, it's the reason why Walmart has stuff on the aisle. Every store has stuff on the aisle. Cause like when, if they're coming there, it's put stuff in front of your face and put those impulse purchases. You can buy stuff. So like it gave them so many opportunities and that's why everything pushes towards that. Like things like that aren't even, you know, like that new Avengers game and people like said, yeah, it's, it's fine. The campaign's great, but like, why is it a live game? Like that's why you get that situation. Cause they do try to push it into a game that could just be a fine campaign game. You play for 10 hours and you're done. But now they're like, well, we spent is the, the money backs on us sometimes as a guarantee. They want to make sure, you know, right. Opportunities right. for purchase. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, like, I don't see, I, I mean, you can do it, I think like we said, you can do it for any game, but, you know, I, I, I don't think it really fits for any game, though, at the same time. It's like, I'm, I was just thinking, like, uh, playing Firewatch, like, that game, I can't really see a live model for, because there's a very specific story there told and an experience, and, like, you know, I don't see how, like, DLC... And I'm, you know, this is just one game, obviously, but you know, I don't see how DLC or like, you know, adding costumes or seasons to that, like a game like that, would really. Uh, you don't want some sweet gloves, right? Or like a pickaxe or something. I'm not saying right, exactly. it, but would it be better? Exactly. Be better. <laughs> what if you could do it in winter, or there was a yeah. Christmas theme during yeah. your firewatch? <laughs> like. Yeah, maybe you could shiv it in there. I'm not saying you couldn't, but it just it doesn't seem to add that much more. And it would, you know, like like how would that sell? Because also <laughs> after I play a game like that, I've kind of consumed that narrative, and I'm sort of done. You know, it's but, like but it, you... isn't that the same case though? And even like first person shooters, the narrative doesn't change much. It, it, there are different experiences, but that could be you could right. have different experiences in, in, in a bubble like a Firewatch or a bubble. Oof. I was going to say solitaire, but that's a stretch. But I mean, that's I feel like in bubble. different bubbles <laughs> of games and environments, you could have different experiences. Like all the games that we are playing that have these, you know, end game, quote unquote, end game content usually are just small bite sized experiences. And the dressing is maybe you're experiencing it with different people. Um. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's like, I feel like, it depends, right? Like you say a lot of these FPSs, things like that. And I feel like a lot of their sort of live game status comes from their multiplayer, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you maybe you're adding new guns or like you even say, well, TF2 really didn't have a, a single player campaign, but you start adding in things like hats or different costumes, introducing different characters or weapons you can have. And again, that makes sense for that. But, and, you know, maybe there's a way for a game like just again for Firewatch or that real sort of, you know, just narrative style game to do that. But maybe, well, I guess maybe that, did the Telltale games do that? Or they kind of, they more chopped up a story. Maybe that's not the same thing, but they, they sort of had, you know, different episodic, releases. Yeah. Right. yeah, they sort of went more episodic. But I mean, but I guess to your point, Abina, you could do something like maybe there's a Firewatch universe. Like there's these different hmm. stories and different parks or different, you know, maybe different professions I mean, and government service. Get, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you can give us 30 minutes. We could brainstorm it. Like you could just, right. you know, if, 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 we can ship it. Yeah, something happens in that story where you leave, but if you stay to that cat like that, you could like, oh, there's a new mystery this week. What is that? Right. Like you could put stuff in that's like updated and like. Oh, right. Because there was that whole 
there was a whole side thing with the uh, campers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you could have little storylines and stuff. I mean, that would be kind of a cool idea. See, that's what I'm talking about. As designers, <laughs> you start thinking about it, and it's always cool. It's like because right. you're getting towards like more engagement. On one hand, you have more engagement. There's more story stuff, and it feels like there's. It's just like why TV's better than movies now. You get this like more of a chance over ten hours to go into something instead of just two hours. That's basically the same sort of model, right? So it's the same thing. It's always better, but it doesn't always fit. So like where that pressure comes is sometimes, yeah, every game shouldn't be it. That's the point. But every game you could start to go, well, let's, let's, I kind of want to have that conversation. I, yeah. I want to have that conversation where you're saying every game shouldn't be that. And I, I think it, it, to me, I hear what you're, what you're saying. It's, it's kind of, you're speaking to my artistic side, uh, but I'm, I kind of want to hear your argument as why you say every game should not be a live game. And or like planned for X years of iteration. Well, I mean, if you want to just say like what's the most not it's not like idealistic answer is that <laughs> games aren't all just supposed to be a money making machine. So like Firewatch, what I said could be cool, and what I said could make actually more money, but that's not what their expression was when they built it. It's like, no, this is our story. We want this is what we want to do. So that's why, and just in a normal like, hey. Like, shut up, you idealist. <laughs> like, that's like my, it's like, because these are, I still believe, as much as they're commercially viable and as much as they can make money, there's still pieces of art in there. You know what I'm right. saying? You know, there's something that has to be created in this creativity and innovation and just its whole magical, greater than the sum of its parts of it that goes into making a great game or just like anything, like great movies and great albums and stuff. That's a, like an X factor and it's a piece of art. And so sometimes yeah. it, it comes out as like, this is all this was meant to be. Tetris, you know, I keep saying Tetris is a great example because they have that as Tetris effect in multiplayer. They have a Tetris battle royale. Oh, right. so, <laughs> I should not say Tetris, but Firewatch is a perfect example. We're like, right. Gone Home is another walking. I don't know. We're just a lot of indie games sometimes too. I mean, a lot of times the scope, but also right. just like, you know, some things, I mean, even though TV shows are cool for some things, some things are just, you know, we see this all the time with like sequelitis. Sometimes like they should just made one movie of that and moved on because right. <laughs> it's a great one movie oh, and I loved it. You know, <laughs> and, like, some things are just as an artistic expression. I can't give you a reason business wise. No, no, no. I think business should always be making money. So they're right. always going to go, why isn't there a reason to make it? But I think it has to be that's one side where it's like, hey, you rely on this artistic thing. This is what this vision is now. I'll work on another project, but this is what this thing is as a whole right, right now. And I think that's kind of the answer I, I wanted to hear and kind of vocalize on the show is I feel like when we're talking about live games or retention, we kind of highlight some of the beauty of being able to iterate and be able to rediscover right. and reinvent. But I do like this, the fact that there is, you know, each of these pieces of work are, are pieces of artwork. And I think that is in itself, in and of itself, something that we should highlight. And like, hey, your game doesn't have to be, uh, this, you know, inse not incessant, it kind of sounds negative, but this this piece of uh, game, a, a game that works for multiple years or does it to appease, you know, your coffers, I guess. So I think there's there's a different reason to kind of invest in a game and develop a game that's not just for retention and, um, you know, making sure it's a live game and, and bringing in money. Well, and right. it's, it's looked just at, it's, it's looked at through more of an artistic lens than just the it's a commodity lens, right? Right. I, right, I think it's right. what you're trying to say. I mean, it's like it's like right. sometimes, yeah, you need to see that that it's like, oh, hey, this isn't just 
you know, I'm just shilling this out like it's a McDonald's now. I'm just going to keep coming up with new stuff and throwing it at the wall and see if anyone wants to buy it. Well, right. and that ties into, I think, a good piece of advice that you could be applied in a lot of areas. But, and this sounds sort of weird at first, which is like, I'm always a big believer of artistic um, intent, of artistic like judgment sometimes too. Does that make sense? So I think it's really smart and you'll hear a lot of stuff. You go on Steam and you hear a lot of gamers say, these guys are so great because they listen to the community and they did exactly what we said. That's not that way. <laughs> Dangerous lie. You don't listen. to This is why anybody gets feedback. You don't just go, oh, they told me to do this, so I put it in there. That's not what's happening. They're saying that as an audience because they're like, like taking credit for it. What you should always be doing is go, I'll listen to any feedback, but I don't, it doesn't mean I'm going to do that. <laughs> right? So – as, as all that stuff comes in, what I'm saying is, is like, it's also a good thing for like people that have live games to follow. That's the bit of advice to go. Okay. I know you guys really want, right. like, okay. it's like that Steve Jobs quote going, you know, if they say, or is it, it's like he quoted, it's not Steve Jobs quote. It's a four quote. It's like, if yeah, you ask people yeah. back then what they wanted, they would said more horses. They wouldn't have said a car. So people right. are always going to ask you what they want, but you need to go, okay, you, that's how you feel. Why is that happening? Why do you feel that way? Maybe I can do something else. But I think even if you have a live game, there's an artistic and what I'm the bigger point here is that even if you have a live game, you've gone down, it doesn't mean it's not still art. You could be making money and it's still art. But sometimes even every design decision, you need to be using your own kind of judgment to go, okay, that's what that thing is. Just because that's the way we're going doesn't mean we still have a statement to make with how these guns work in this game and how our system works. We want to like, even when you have a game at the beginning, you have questions and a thing you're trying and they still stick to that, you know, stick to whatever right. the design intent was. I, mean, I got I mean, I feel like that's great advice. And then one thing that kind of pops into mind, and especially something that's been happening recently in my work is there are games that were built for a platform or built for a console, say, let's say PC. And these games are built with the hardware, with, you know, that kind of the software at the time in, in mind. And they built really, really good games, really successful, visually appealing, wonderful games. And then you have another platform where console comes out, uh, let's say a switch that has, you know, it's lower, lower hardware. Basically it's, probably worse than your iPhone 12 or something right. uh, as far as what it can run. And then you're, you know, kind of society and even the nature of the world where it is now in, in quarantine where people are more likely to have maybe, maybe not more likely, but having a switch is maybe something that's more, more viable than a high end PC, you know, companies and studios are like, okay, well, we really need to get on this new hotness called the switch and get on a device where everyone's kind of leaning towards so they kind of degrade, or they maybe have to degrade their their visuals, even the content, and do a lot of cuts to kind of shoehorn their games into a new platform. Right. Uh, what are your thoughts on like that whole dynamic, and and you know the sacrifices games are making to just reach an audience? So I, I think there's there's multiple there's obviously multiple ways to look at that. And two example, like I guess a couple examples come to mind for me. Like I I think you know sometimes. That's fine. If you can get to a greater audience, good. Like I know uh, like Divinity Original Sin, you know, I, I got that, that on actually the Switch and uh, Steam because they'll cross sync saves and so I could play it mobily. 
Um, so th that was kind of a great example of that I thought was like, hey, they reached out and did it on Switch, and now they had to downgrade their visuals noticeably, obviously, from the PC to the Switch. Like you said, there's that that obvious power difference. But I think them expanding into that you know new console realm of the Switch, so they could you know I can now go mobile with it was great. Now where I have more of a problem with it is when you take certain styles of games and then you transport them to a platform who say like maybe their input mechanisms or the way you interact with the game just don't support it as well. That's where I have a bigger problem with it. Like say, you know, hey, we've got this cool mobile. We're going to, you know. League of Legends. It works. Yeah, yeah. yeah, or League of Legends, League of Legends iPad. It's like, wait a minute. Right. Yeah, that's real mobile. And, you know, every, a lot of people have iPads, but it's like your input interface with the, you know, with the player and with the game, like, you know, you're just, it's completely different now. And it's like, you know, that, that, could be fine. You could maybe find a great way of doing that. There have been uh, some MOBAs that have done that, but it's mostly them starting off on that platform. So I don't know. I, I think there's a give and take to that, you know, because if you just say, well, just throw it in VR, or take it from VR and just throw it on PC. It's like, no, there's a fundamental different way of, you know, interacting with that game or looking at it in those two mediums or platforms. Right. I think League of Legends is an interesting case because I forgot the name of the game that was kind of a rip off i think it's 10 cent on anyway but did basically <laughs> league of legends uh copy when league of legends was like really becoming a hot thing and they did a mobile version of it and it took mm -hmm. i guess riot until what 2020 uh to release their version of uh a league of legends mobile but anyway i'm just saying that i think theirs was almost like a catching up <laughs> to, to mobile uh and i think well I, I don't know if it works or if it doesn't but I guess proof of the other game. I can't remember the game now, but I should look it up. Vainglory. Vainglory. Yeah, I feel like yeah. their their success is kind of a proof to hey, maybe we can do it on mobile. Maybe we can do it on iPad. Let's try it. Uh, but that also reminded me of like were you talking about like doing games on different platforms? Is like The Witcher being on the new Tesla. I was like, oh, that's that's a new. I guess new medium, but I guess it's, I think it's, you can still control your, that's a new uh, something to write up in the police report when somebody crashes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're playing the Witcher. Oh, that, uh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense though. Well, and that, I guess I'm thinking these like pieces of advice for some reason. I'm starting to think frame this and how we get, this is good for this mm -hmm. for advice wise. Um, because when I think about that, which you just said, um, Ryan, like I agree with you, but then I started to think like, well, like I don't think your phone's the best way to play. I don't to play Fortnite, but that thing makes so much money for them that it's like it's a weird. Like again, I'm not. This this is where you get into weird stuff. It's like they're doing it to make money, obviously. And I'm like, well, we feel like we can. I'm sure they're not doing it cynically. They're like, well, we can make enough money. That's like a decision for a designer, right? Like, how, what is my cutoff of how do I feel? I'm is this compromising what I think this should be or they obviously are okay with it, but us, but obviously, if I was looking at 150 million a month, I'd be like, I might be okay with that too. I don't know. Like that's like a yeah. weird. It's a. It's just a weird thing. But like because there's always an impulse to. Again, I'll just say standing up for that whatever that artistic intent. Sometimes, if that's what you want to do, if that's right, if, if that's I part of like the game, just because what I'm saying is because sometimes, what could be more successful, not just in money, but just, hey the instinct of what could be more successful is not right. Like meaning right. like I'll use another metaphor. Like if you use bands or like musical artists, right. You could go back to like, what, like Bob Dylan or somebody in the sixties and go like, you know what? It's like, your song's really great, but your voice is like crap. So if you got these really great girl singer to do it, it'd be better. You'd be more successful. You make more money. 
that wasn't the point. The point was it's all about the whole package is him doing this thing, doing at that time, doing the thing. And that's what comes out. Like, you don't understand, like, the artistic thing is about a package of this. It's not the most optimal. It's not men max to be, like, the most beautiful people singing the most beautiful melody. You know, it's like what this person is, that's what they're expressing, and it's authentic. And that's what sometimes these games come out. When it's a big company, it doesn't matter as much, but for all the people making a game on an indie level that we're talking about, trying to – appease that stuff and try to push it into like, well, I could do this and I could actually make more of this where I could do it in early access where it doesn't make sense to do that. It can hurt it. Cause it, what's more, what you have, what's your unfair advantages at that moment is it. There's a spectrum. It goes more towards artistic, the smaller you are and more towards commerce, the bigger you are. Cause if you're big, you can just pump out a, <laughs> a port of an iOS game and it makes $150 million a month. And that's what. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, time time is a resource, right? And right. so, like you said, if you're a small studio, you don't necessarily have time to say, like, oh, I'm just going to spread it across, smear it right. across all platforms. you got to target stuff and use your time more wisely. Whereas, you know, like you said, the bigger AAAs, they got enough money where they can buy time. And it's like, all right, well, what is that? More people? Yeah, let's just do that. Get them in here. We're putting it on all of it. You know, we'll just do that. So, yeah, you, you got to be a little more targeted when you're in that indie realm. And I think you brought up... Um, uh, interesting uh oh man what gosh just flew out of my head you said something earlier you brought up something yeah, the end of the work day for all of us oh, <laughs> yeah sorry yeah, yeah i went right i went yeah i went straight from work to doing this so my mind had no time to sort of shift i used to, in the old days i used to have to drive home and stuff oh, and then... early sorry, wait, hold on old man brain's got to say before he forgets uh, early access which is almost sort of a reverse live game type of thing where it's yeah. like now you're not even on version 1.0. It's like we've slid it backwards into like, well, before we even get started, let's start buying into it and getting that feedback and sort of adjusting things for, um, you know, for the community or for the game. So, I mean, like, how do you guys see that? Does that fit into the live game thing? Yeah, I feel like it, does. it does in early access. Like, I agree. I think it's a great... I think it should just be in general. That's what we do for a while, and then people help. It's to me, it's like the greatest psychology trick we played on there. It's like, well, the game is released. It's full price. It's out. It's just we need to have some help finishing it and doing, which is totally fine. I, I feel, you know, but people like, like will be more harder on it than that time than not. Then you know, like we said with No Man's Sky, could have just been that, and then people would not have been pissed <laughs> and it been the same game. You know, yeah, it's the other edge of that sword. Yeah. What were you saying? Yeah, I feel like no, I'm just saying like to to kind of speak off the the whole early access. I think Kickstarters were another kind of iteration of that. It's like, hey, before we even mm. even have a game or anything going, sometimes it's just an idea. We're we're already getting people having buy in, like uh, monetary, you know, buy in into this game. And I mean, we're not editing. Well, technically, sometimes they do. Like they edit some design decisions based off of user feedback so i think it's it was an, in and of itself like a new way of iterating on game and iterating on design ideas uh before even totally yeah yeah that's that's sort of the the primordial stage of it right you're right it's like you're you're basically like on those like uh platforms like kickstarter or whatever um like you said, you're buying into an idea and that's about as early as you can get in the game process so it's like you're already kind of getting very live with it and watching the developer get, you know, their different tiers and as different, you know, heck, some of these games, they have it, uh, you know, what is it where, you know, if they get so much investment, they start unlocking more features. Stretch goals. So it, yeah, stretch goals and things like that. I think yeah. we mentioned oh, wow. it in a, previ a previous uh, lost episode. Yeah, lost yeah. episode about how much money they've made just originally just off the idea, but now it's like, I mean, they have something, but it's still, right. I mean, technically it's still not even out there. 
after we talked about it, I went on Twitch. You can find it, and there's people playing it. And I was like, I don't seven. Are these like? I don't understand, like, because it all look different. One guy's shooting it. It all looks like eight different games, see what they're playing. I'm like, what is this game? I don't even know what this loop is. Like, um, well, yeah, not to get too far into it, but like, I think, don't you have to, to get into the game, you have to buy a ship or something like that? So it's like, like and ships can range from like, yeah, from like, I don't know. I don't, I haven't looked this up in a long time, but say like 30 to like, I think you said, Andrew, like a thousand dollars, maybe not that high, but maybe I haven't checked I'll it be in higher a while. than that even. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm yeah, I mean, be... actually pretty high, like $30,000. I've seen that. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like 30,000 real yeah. human dollars. Yeah. Don't quote me in that, but it's, it's, I feel like it's at that scale. I think it would be, and I look when we worked all yeah, working. Yeah. It was something that, crazy. But, you know. Because, you know, back then it wasn't even to get the ship. It was to reserve your ship. I was like, I don't even know what it's going to look like. You don't even know what this yeah. is. And it's like you're going to spend t- – it's at least like $10,000 range, I think, I remember. Like, it's going to be – we'll, we'll check it, and, and if I find <laughs> it before the end of the game, we can – What you guys said, though, that reminds me, bringing up the – not just early access, but the Kickstarter – it kind of gets to the core when I realized of what we're talking about here, what all these games, both business and the artistic side want is community. Like you want to have, you want to take up brain space in people's brain. Like now, yeah. Cause I mean, business wants to leave that to spend more money, but even just as a developer, you want a community around your game. You want people talking about their you know, subreddits. You want, I mean, it's where people are going to play it, but you like them being engaged in that community because it means they're going to buy more. Like if you put stuff out for that game, they're going to buy it. If you could put out your next game, it's going to buy it. Everybody, I mean, every artist wants attention, you know, too. So you're like, hey, this is what I want. But that's what the promise of these things are. That's what even the promise of live games are, is that we can keep that engine going. It's not just a marketing thing. Our development is marketing via putting stuff in front of people's faces every day that they can do because it keeps them engaged and keeps them um making youtube videos about every week <laughs> so you know content yeah. creators is a big part of that now yeah and that it's it's definitely a big part of the sort of the definition and cycle of these live games like interaction with the community like all the things you described and then i think touching on yeah something you said earlier is like you know actually listening to the community community to um also improve things like you said you don't just take everything out of hand like oh yeah they told me to do this i'll do this but you know games like rainbow six siege and warframe and you know i've read articles about how you know they had some rocky starts but you know in the end they sort of knew what they wanted to do and then the community was giving them feedback about it and they did pluck out those ideas and listen to them and refine it over time and all of a sudden you know a few years later it's like you know they they have a second wind and are um, apparently actually doing quite well Apparently, people hate Warframe again now. But that's what they. I. This is the. I. This is the I weird love hate relation that because I did following like Destiny and Destiny Two because obviously I'm a huge Bungie fan and so going to that I had really big problems Destiny One. I love Destiny Two, but then there's always been like Destiny Two is great, but it doesn't fit for streamers because they can't put a hundred hours. And then they it goes to these cycles. They'll do this huge update, put a bunch of stuff in. Everybody's like, it's great again. It's so awesome. And Destiny doesn't charge a subscription fee, mind you. They have like season passes and stuff, like any game does. But it's not like a wow thing, like every month you're paying. And I still just get cracked up when people are like, okay, that was really great, but it's been six months since that, since that update. And I, I realized that after hour 3000, it's not fun anymore. I'm like, are you doing Zach's voice right now? No. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Zach does complain about all the you're armor. Just, you're the channeling him. <laughs> but I mean, they did that first. We mentioned, I mean, we talked about earlier before we got on Diablo three is a big one like that. People will play games for hundreds and hundreds of hours 
and they get to the end, they're like, it sucked. The end game sucked. <laughs> I was like, well, some games are Firewatch again. Let's bring it up. It was twenty dollars, and it was like four hours. Portal. When people it'd be in top, it's one of my top five games of all time. Portal is a four hour experience, and it was like twenty bucks for a long time, right? So it's a weird. I don't. I feel sorry. I feel. I don't know. If sorry is the right word. I feel for them, <laughs> developers that are trying to go down that road of like Bungie in particular, because they just. I don't know. They're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Sometimes that stuff. Sometimes though, it reminds me of not reminds me. It's like it reminds me of like the the uh, movie inter- inter- industry as well. But like sometimes you'd watch a movie for two hours or f- uh, three hours or however long it, right. it is, and it's like. There are moments of greatness, but then right. in the end, it's like that movie was trash. And I right. think that opinion is fair, even in putting in hours, multiple hours into a game. It's like you want to get to the end game or you want to get to, quote unquote, the end. And that experience as a whole is what kind of defines the game for you. Right. So maybe that- and maybe maybe my I can be more specific about that. The Diablo thing might be I guess you play it online, but it was I mean, it is a live game now because they add stuff to it. But less about that like i played it once and it was that long but more related to like the the people overestimating some of these live games unless you're paying 15 bucks a month like wow or Mm -hmm. something you have 10 million people paying that the amount of like from destiny for instance the amount of i mean people buy dlc once a year and they'll buy season pass which is like 10 bucks but that's every five months that's still like nothing compared to what people are paying for wow right Value you're saying like the, the value yeah what they expect out of like content creation and like model right. creation and armor creation out of that kind of level of product I'm like eh guys you you gotta adjust your expectations of this one look I'm Zach <laughs> doesn't like that game more because he doesn't think it makes enough armor and he just uh, he's not saying it's ridiculous of him he just doesn't care about it but there's some people that lose their lose their shit because of that I'm like well it's a little you need to adjust that, your expectations right, you that's just, content yeah. Jesus. It's like you know how much that is. If they knew what, like, hey, look at what a scope of creating one of those from the artist to the concept to the riggers to all that. It's a lot of money. <laughs> you just want it for free, basically, every you know. Right. And I think that's kind of kind of a place that we landed in one of our lost episodes was <laughs> that kind of double-edged sword of li- live games. Like on one end, users are basically getting or players are getting a lot of different varied content over the lifespan of the game right uh, but on the other end and, and they may not like it they may think it sucks every iteration like we were talking about with uh destiny or i can't remember the other game we mentioned but there might be multiple iterations that we're just not pleased with as consumers but on the other end the developer is like still getting your money like they're still getting money from well, these pay to win situations or like if you're buying into a new dlc right you, they're still making money off that. And also what you have to realize too, is that also something like the mediator in me, who I see people upset. I'm always like, that's the problem. And you have to realize one in life, people are always going to be annoyed with stuff. People are always going to be upset. Oh, Politics, God. whatever. Yeah. That's like a pastime. It's grievance. So we have like around the world. So with these YouTube channels, you got to realize too, it's like, well, this is just all a cycle. If you have a game that's dedicated to destiny Two updates every day and video, it's gonna gotta go through a cycle, like from like, hey, we love this to like, this is horrible for a while, man. Like that's like just part of the soap opera, and it's a cycle right. that happens. And they like talking about it. It's like if they really hated the game, they would shut down their channel. Are they doing that? No, they keep that channel going because <laughs> people are watching them bitch about it. You know, right. the channel makes the money. Everybody's like playing this like 
you know, this theater. That's what it's so funny about this stuff. Right. It's like, oh, we're all playing this part. And again, this is just part of it. But this is like a weird modern, I would say in the past five years, a modern um, a re- a symptom, not a symptom, but modern just sort of phenomenon of this live game thing is this right. relationship with not just the fans, but content creators like YouTube People, right. let's just take just that in general, but also Twitch, like who streams it, who's streaming it. It's like, oh, Ninja, stop streaming Fortnite because it sucks. Now, you know, that's right. all part of the ecosystem now. What streaming and I, I do, feel like it's YouTubers it's, do. It's so much more prevalent now in this gen, was it gen, gen X or whatever, whatever their new generation is. Gen but they wait, 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 wait hold on. No, I'm Gen X and yeah. I'm gonna be oh, 40. Gen yeah, <laughs> she's an X for millennials and Gen Z is the new stuff. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I don't follow that stuff, but anyway, but it's like they're so hooked into like, um, you know, YouTube and streamers, like that's that's their whole conversation is around streamers. And now, what, what's what's this what's the guy's name, like Lego Man or something? I can't remember some Minecraft YouTube. Oh, yeah, oh man, my, yeah. Minecraft, Minecraft is crazy. Minecraft and Roblox are like it's crazy. Like the people that are streaming those those on those platforms, how big of a following they're getting uh, with children, the new generation. Yeah. And like even <laughs> we we kind of mentioned this earlier, and I think that's what Google saw when they were creating was it Stadia was it Stadia the platform where it was also like really or was it YouTube gaming? I can't remember what what platform that was like really focused on the streamer as well. I'm like. Adding all these little hook skins for they haven't done that yet. It's Stadia, but they still haven't put that in there. Right, right. I, yeah, oh, but I remember that Stadia, like, by the way. I I am in a free three month free trial because now they put it on the browser. Not bad. It worked pretty good. Just so <laughs> I know you're a fan of Stadia. I mean, I just want to update. You. I mean, I was just I was <laughs> I know. in the rough times. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just like it's crazy. Like you're saying, just how integrated content creators, developers in the community, the larger community of a game or or ecosystem of games has become. It's re- it's really intense. Yes, so- so we're doing side notes yeah. actually. The- Quick Go side ahead. note: Star Citizen has a twenty seven thousand dollar ship pack, and their biggest. Damn. Ship is twenty five hundred dollars. All right, back to reg- regular schedule. Well, that, Sorry, that's actually, about that. Well, that's related it's to like a motorcycle. Right. A motorcycle. Twenty five hundred. Come on. Related to this is an idea that's currently with. I love this. Like our discussion before in our last episode was just about these live services, but this is bigger. This is more interesting because if you think about it, and they were talking about this recently with Cyberpunk. Because everything we said, everything's a live game, basically. Cyberpunk's not a live game, but they're going to add content to it and stuff. And they're going to have community and stuff, I'm sure. So, but they were talking about that. And there's some games now with the Twitch, with the uh, um, DMCA, whatever, the crackdown of music and stuff. And how that affects what, what games people stream and all those things, right? If your game has copyright music, you'll get like, one of the senators now opposed to this thing, they want to make it a felony if you stream copyright what? materials. That's so like some crazy thing. This was like this was before. Oh, yeah, I, I think it was in that. I don't think it passed. It was before in the first, uh, you know, stimulus thing that happened in December, or whatever, or November. But so it's but that's still a possibility. That's what I'm saying. That's like people are sniffing that out. Like I think because movie companies, other stuff. But it's crazy nowadays. The point is that you can bring that. Not only do you design or some of these design things around like a live game in general. But specifically, line the, design them around the type of content, like streaming, that you could create from, or the type of YouTube videos people could create. You know, like if you just make some story game, they play it and it's done great. But if you make these games that are repeatable, they're watchable. Like Zach watches that 
what's the big one now is Escape from Kar- Tarkov game. It's Tarkov, huge. Yeah, yeah. Made in Unity, by the way, right? It's huge. And if you watch it, because it's like addicting people to watch them do their inventory. They watch, It's a thing that just lasts forever. And it makes it so popular that people yeah. want to do that. And I'm sure you go buy this $40 game after you've watched that for hours, you know, because you're like, this is intriguing. I want to try this. It's like the same PUBG phenomenon. PUBG did so great. Or Battle Royales in general do so great. And Fortnite came later because they're fun to play, but they're so they're very interesting to watch. If somebody's, right. you know, they're 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 more compelling than they should be to watch as a you know spectator sport. So how does that affect how we need to make the games, which is interesting, you know? So all questions. All great questions. Um so what's what's the takeaway here, Brian? Do what 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 should I take away as a developer, any developer? Well, I think, man, I mean, we've gone over a lot of stuff here, but in some way, shape, or form, I'm starting to think that your game's going to be a live game <laughs> in some form or capacity, whether you want it right. to be or not. Because when we start when you start bleeding into the social and community end, then yeah, it's you know it's 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 going to change how things work for you. It's going to you know affect your feedback. It's you know, in the modern society, maybe everything is a live game now. There's no avoiding that. You can't just kind of, I mean, there's not a lot of people who are maybe just saying, oh, there's my game. I released it and I'm just going to walk away and do the next thing and just, oh, I've got sales now. Cool. You know, residual income. Um, so that's kind of where I've, what I've gotten out of this conversation is in some form or fashion, you're going to be dealing with live. So yeah, and right, that's, a, what do you that's a good point. I would say the last little bit of advice I'd leave on top of that is just, Whatever, because every game your game, every one of your games is a live game now. The way you update and talk to people, transparency is probably the one thing that I've seen across the board that the your community appreciates. That's when they get pissed when they don't feel like they're being told the truth, right? And the expectation you hype it up too much. So always look to be like, let them know what's happening. Guide expectations. Don't even know transparency. Guide yeah. expectations. Temper right. it. Yeah. Right. 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 I think that's a better phrasing is guiding yeah. expectations. Yeah, tell them the truth. This is all on fire. <laughs> We're going to cancel the game in a month. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is going to be back. so buggy when it comes out. Yeah. Things are going to load right. The physics well, is at least, jank. <laughs> at least they're transparent. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and you know, I've seen a lot of other sort of, um, I guess, from the other end of, other end of that is like, you know, just the, the actual community telling people to, you know, this is a little different, to just stop pre-ordering games. If you right. want them to stop, like, screwing you over, you know, yes, they should be transparent, but if you want to stop reinforcing their behavior, stop pre-ordering games. I mean, I, I still do it. I'm not, like, judging or anything. But, yeah, I mean, if you really want maybe the people to think twice, maybe it's like, all right, I'm going to hold back till the reviews come out. And then you find out that there's all this stuff wrong with it. Maybe you don't buy then, And maybe that affects their bottom line, and maybe they won't do it again. I don't know. We'll see. What are you on, Ryan? Developer or the consumer? <laughs> I don't know. I'm both. So <laughs> that's fair. Whichever, whichever mood I'm in. <laughs> cool. All right. All right. Well, I think that's it for now. I think we're going to hit this topic again because I think we just like this is one way deeper than our just and also just at the beginning of what the live games are about. But I think we can kind of break this up. But. We're just getting back into this thing. We're letting loose. We're limbering up. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> our brains are taking out the cobwebs as we talk about stuff this year. So, um, cool. So, we're going to take a break and we will be right back. Uh. 
Okay, before you go, if you want to check us out on the internet, you can go to, first off, search for The Debug Lounge on Facebook. There you can talk, you can interact. You can also see the link to our Discord, which is where most of this discussion stuff is these days. Um, And also, if you want to check us out on Patreon, we don't have really any crazy rewards in there, but if you want to support us, that's fine. Just, you know, search for The Debug Log on Patreon. I think it's patreon.com slash thedebuglog. Um, we got Twitter, we got other stuff, but in the meantime, have fun, be careful, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) Alright, bye.